0: well happy thursday to everyone out there and welcome back to episode two of college football unmasked i am your host ty hayes and we have a big show packed for you today now unfortunately my co-host andrew martin and Jamison white couldn't be here But fear not, we have plenty of college football news, some of which just really came out last night this morning, and we really need to get into it. Um, We did a little bit of approach to the show today, but we'll talk about that here in a little bit. The show is brought to you by the Daily Sports Network. Guys, if you haven't already, go check out some of these other podcasts. They're really awesome. The other day, I was on the Nick Barlotta show, and that was a really good time. If y'all haven't already, go take a listen to that. Talked about a lot of good stuff in that, and we're planning on having him on the show here very soon. So with all of that being said, let's jump right in to today's episode and what we are going to be talking about primarily. And you know, with all of the talk and with everything surrounding LSU football, with the story that came out last night, I see no better place than to start there. Because the puddle kittens find themselves back in a little bit of hot water. Now, we talked about LSU some last week. If you didn't go get to listen to episode one of College Football Unmasked, I highly recommend you do. It was a very good time, but I'll give you a brief synopsis on what we talked about with LSU. The biggest thing with LSU we talked about was almost like we understand why LSU's not very good. I think anybody that watches football understands why LSU isn't very good this year, because when you lose that many pieces, it's just really hard to continue on with a quality team down the road. And it's not just the pieces. When you look at the coaches, they lost. Dave Aranda was a big piece of that LSU team. He'd been there forever. That was a really big loss that they sustained. And so we, you know, a lot of us kind of knew that this team wasn't going to look the same. And so you've already had a tough season up to this point. But then news drops last night. The LSU is self-imposing level one sanctions on themselves. Now, this is big news because first off, anytime anybody has any sort of sanctions imposed on themselves, whether self or not, that's a big deal because nobody wants to impose sanctions on themselves, specifically level one sanctions. And for those of you not familiar, the NCAA has a system in which sanctions are broken up into different categories, with level one being the most severe. Level one sanctions typically come your off-season bans, heavy, heavy recruiting hits, big time penalties. We're talking. But it is important to note that within the level one infractions, there are three sub levels. And LSU has given themselves the lowest of the three sublevels. And, you know, for part of it, I agree. And the first part is the Odell Beckham Jr. handing out $2,000 at the national championship game. Which, while illegal and harmless fun, is pretty stupid. Um, And I'm not meaning to be harsh because it's a bunch of kids winning a national championship. They're having a good time and that moment is meant to be incredibly happy. But you know how the NCAA is, right, wrong, or indifferent. And trust me here when I say I'm not the biggest fan of the NCAA. I think that the NCAA is antiquated in a lot of ways, and that's why last week we kind of ended the show talking about could an NCAA college football game save the organization that is the NCAA? So... I am no NCAA apologist. In fact, I might be the opposite. And you know what? We have some guests lined up that we will be talking to about that. We'll talk about later in the show. So I I feel like the Odell, you know, incident is a very minor one. Something that isn't that big of a deal. It's just stupid. I don't know why you would do that in front of a live camera uh, on live TV. That just That's indicative of not thinking in the moment. And you know what? To be 100% fair to them, I can't say I would do any different. I would like to think I would. But when you're that jovial in that moment for what it means, that's a big deal. So, you know, that one right there doesn't really irk me. The one where I think that the NCAA might double back and take a look at this and the Puddle Kittens might actually find themselves in some real trouble is they had a booster scamming money from a hospital in order to pay a recruit. Now, that's some pretty big allegations, right? And if that's true then I think LSU is very happy to give themselves these self-imposed sanctions. And with these self-imposed sanctions comes a recruiting hit. Uh, I think eight scholarships over two years will be lost, which is a big deal in the SEC, no doubt. But LSU recruits well enough to kind of work around that. And Odell is banned for two years. Now, banned is a strong word. He's not banned. He just can't come for two years. That's a little harsh. I think maybe a year ban on Odell would have been fine. Because like I said, I get it. It's it's mainly a stupidity tax. Like you shouldn't have done it. But at the same time, a bunch of kids. I'm not overtly mad at the Odell situation. But the Children's Hospital. Why do I think that the NCAA could double back on that? Well, simple. It's for the optics of the matter. I think the last thing LSU wanted was the story getting out as to how this money was scammed, how this money was embezzled, and where it came from. Because this individual was stealing upwards of, I think the article said, half a million dollars from this hospital. And that's never what you want uh, being attached to your school. Specifically in a time when, petty or not, you're already trying to get over an NCAA hum with the Odell situation. So LSU finds themselves in some hot water. As of right now, it's all self-imposed. Level 1, subsection 3 sanctions. And I'm not sure the name. That's why I'm going to call it a subsection 3. It's something like moderate level 1. And it's it's the least serious of the most serious tier. Um, and LSU, I think, will be very happy if they can stay there. Now, it, it should be noted that my, my main point with all this is that... Sus- that Penalty isn't finalized. There's nothing to say right now that the NCAA doesn't come in here, look at this, and say no, that's crap, that's bullshit. We don't want that. You were stealing from a from a hospital. We're giving you a postseason ban. I'm not saying that's what I think they should do. I'm just letting y'all know that that is a real possibility, something to watch out for. So that's kind of our first big bit of news that we kind of need to keep watching out for. I don't want to go too too much more into it because. I think there's larger implications on the back end, and we do have a guest that I have planning to come on the show. He is a former UNT football player, my alma mater, and he has agreed to join us. We're working out a time, hopefully on this next week's episode, and that's kind of why I'm stopping this topic right here short, because I want to talk with him about the intricacies of the NCAA and what that means. But let's move on to some other big news, and we kind of hit it right there. We're going to talk about some recruiting news, and we're going to stay in the SEC. Alabama is faced with a transfer from a position of need for them, and it's not the biggest position of need uh, on the defensive front, but Alabama, in the way they like to play, they like to run multiple bodies in that personnel They like to stay fresh. They like to grind you down. And a player that they were really high on when he was in high school, when he was coming out, Ishmael Selfser, has decided to transfer from the program. Now, as far as I know yet, no word on where he is going to transfer. But this is a big hit for the University of Alabama Crimson Tide. And, you know, one that will surely be subsided when you look at the recruiting class they have. Alabama is one of four colleges right now that have multiple five stars and of their five stars they do have a five star defensive tackle damon Payne, in the class and they're working towards other big name defensive tackles in that class but nonetheless a talent like soft on your team is always a bonus and y'all this is a kid who had worked incredibly hard in the offseason So I don't know all the intricacies of why he decided to transfer. I know that he wasn't getting the time that he probably felt he he deserved, especially considering there was a point in Softser's recruiting where he was considered the number one defensive tackle in the nation per 24-7 sports. He was a five-star all the way up until his senior year when he really started to slide. And he had one of the more extreme slides I can remember in recent recruiting and it, it, he didn't have a strong showing as a senior. He didn't have a very particularly strong showing at the All-American Games, and that really hurt him. But he was a guy that coming into this year, the Alabama staff had said on numerous occasions had actually lost the most weight from last year coming into this year. It was something like 334 pounds down to 310 DJ Dale was talking about him saying how soft looks quicker. He looks more explosive and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. So I wish nothing but the best for the young man. I hope he finds a place that is going to allow his talents to shine and allow him to keep growing because that is very important. And hopefully he can get some, you know, pretty instant eligibility going. Uh, That'd be awesome to see for him. But keeping on the spirit of recruiting, we are on five-star commit. Watch, everybody. Five-star cornerback Jaquinsky McKinstry is set to commit within the coming few days, and his top three, as has been for quite some time, is Auburn, LSU, and the University of Alabama. Now, the recruiting process on McKinstry has been a little bit different, and the that top three has kind of each fluctuated to where they each felt like they had a legitimate shot. As it sits right now, the Alabama Crimson Tide per 24-7 sports are the crystal ball favorite to land McKinstry. And even when it was a split between Auburn, Bama, and Clemson, it was, you know, 40-something percent Auburn, 40-something percent Bama, X percent Clemson. I forget exactly how they had it. I've always felt like McKinstry was an Alabama lean. And I'll tell you why. It's not because of the prowess Nick Saban and staff can recruit from. But it's it's looking at that university and what is the position of need for them. And then I look at the three schools they're competing against, right? Auburn and LSU. If we're talking LSU a year ago, I think I'm a bit more nervous because they have Dave Aranda and Dave Aranda did nothing in his stint in the SEC but prove that he can coach defensive backs at the highest level possible, if not the premier level. Um, I think there's a real argument to be made that he is one of the premier minds at the defensive back position in all of college football. But he's not there anymore, and Bo Pelini is. And I don't care what Ed Ogeron tells y'all, or what Ed Ogeron wants y'all to believe. Bo Pelini is in no universe the same coach as Dave Aranda. And saying so is just ignorance and arrogance at its finest. But I'll save that for another time. So LSU, I feel like, is out of it right there, right? That's probably first reason why I'm, I'm high on an Alabama pick. The second reason is because that's a huge position of need for Alabama, just like we kind of started off last time, right? It's it's almost the same reason as reason one. It's because it's a big position of need. The difference for McKinstry in Alabama is this year, the Tide's five-star corner, Patrick Sertan, is more than likely going to the NFL draft. I mean, he's put together a very, very impressive college career. He's incredibly physical, but he's very smooth. And I think that's the thing that I really enjoy watching um, is that he is very, very smooth for as big as he is. And it's something very unique to see. But he should be going to the draft this year. He should get a first-round grade. You know, if you watch Alabama games, you might not see a lot of Patrick Sertan. And that's simply because they don't throw to Patrick Sertan a lot. There's a lot of young corners in that Alabama system that quarterbacks are much more interested in testing before they get to Sertan. So, you know, McKinstry and his commitment, that's going to be one that we definitely need to watch out for because Alabama definitely needs a cornerback. Now, the last team on that list is Auburn, and Auburn was thought to be the longtime leader. But Auburn, to me, is kind of indicative of that old van your parents used to have. And what do I mean when I say that? Well, that old van is great, right? That old van has given us some incredible memories, some really, really great things to look back on. Hell, even I as an Alabama fan, the kick six is one of the greatest moments in sporting history. That old van has given us a lot of memories, a lot to look back on, and a lot to talk about. But with all of the nostalgia that that old van has given us, that old van has given us more inconsistency than maybe any team in the SEC. Nay, maybe more so than any team in college football. And while there certainly have been more inconsistent teams, I don't know to the degree that Auburn has been inconsistent. And what I mean when I say that is that they can go out and beat a premier team in the SEC, which should have them in really good position for a postseason run, and then they lose to three teams that two of them they have no business losing to, and that's perpetually Auburn, and it's that sort of inconsistency plus what we kind of saw last week. I don't know how much that will affect them going forward, but I just don't think McKinstry goes there. I think Bama is much more consistent. I think Bama has been a much easier process getting to the NFL than Auburn. There was a statistic I believe it was Pro Football Focus or Bleacher Report had in the middle of the summer. And the national average for a five-star getting drafted out of high school when they are a five-star, when they go to college, is 24.3%, I believe. The national average of a five-star coming out of high school, going to Alabama and getting drafted is 58.3%. And it just shows you they do develop better right? They, along with a handful of other universities, develop better. And so for Street, if I'm looking at those three organizations, knowing the need that Bama has to have a premier corner come in soon, I think Bama's the move. You got coach Nick Saban. You have a chance at a national championship because that team is going to be loaded coming up. So That gets us off of the news, the recruiting segment, and I kind of want to go into the segment we started last week, which was the upset of the week. And last week, you know, we had all those just nutty upsets. And this week, it really didn't disappoint. While we didn't have as many, the one we had was pretty incredible. And of course, I'm talking about Florida State versus North Carolina. And if I was to tell you right now that Sam Howell, In this game, would throw for 374 yards and three touchdowns. I think everybody out there would shake my hand and say, "Okay, it was a North Carolina victory." And instead, North Carolina got ran out the gym in the first half. And I think what they realized is that one half of football just doesn't work, even against a team like Florida State, who in that first half was playing incredible, in that second half was almost playing like North Carolina was in the first half. Florida State has straight up sucked for a long time, right? Uh, Nick Barloga and I on his show, we were talking about it, and Florida State's arc kind of went with DeAndre Francois' leg. And I know that sounds harsh, but when Ronnie Harrison got that sack and DeAndre Francois hurt his knee, that was really the last time Florida State was anybody. Remember, y'all, they were number two in the nation coming into that game, Alabama number one. Everybody thought that that was game of the year already, week one. And it turned out that that was the last time we would see a Florida State team be highly regarded. But the question has to be asked with such a quality win. Is that coming to an end or am I overreacting? I think it's a healthy dose of both, right? I'm definitely overreacting. Florida State will suck for some time in the foreseeable future, right? But it's all about how you temper your expectations. And I'm big on this in sports as I am with, in, in life, really. I try and remain as logical as possible. If one plus one equals two, then that must be it, right? Just very logical lines to me. If we temper our expectations to say, could Florida State use this as a building block to which they create more building blocks to slowly but surely build the foundation of a good culture there again? Maybe. I think that that could be a real possibility. You know, it looked really bad in the offseason when we had players feuding with coaches about exactly what they had or hadn't been told. As far as social injustice, as far as the coronavirus. And when that happened, I didn't know how long this coaching staff was going to be at this university, if I'm being completely honest. Because this is a university that doesn't have a lot of patience, and quite honestly shouldn't, to a point, right? It's just like the University of Texas. Your, your brand is too big for you to be this bad. And so I understand not having a whole lot of patience when you're there, although some patience is needed. But, not, but Norvell, I think he actually earned himself some more time this week because that is about as big of a win as Florida State has had in years, knocking off the number five team in the country. And I think that they can use it for something to build upon. Now, what does this mean going forward? For both programs, really. Starting with Florida State. And y'all, I'm going to have the same answer for both program here. And it might sound like a boring answer, but I think it's the smart answer. And I think it's the way it needs to be looked at. Both of these programs are must-watch in their coming games. And why do I say that? Because North Carolina, with one loss in the ACC still finds themselves in a unique position to control their destiny. They can go and get a win against a Miami, right? Like, they can go and knock off that second or third best team in the ACC and put themselves right back in contention for that ACC championship slot alongside of Clemson. Because I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Nobody's beating Clemson in the ACC. Nobody's beating Clemson. Trevor Lawrence is too good. Etienne is too good. That defense is too good. Murphy's too good. Brian Brees is too good. That coaching staff is too good. Um, You're not beating them. That's just not happening. Not yet. And I, I say the same with North Carolina. Now, fear not, everybody. North Carolina actually plays a ranked opponent again this weekend in NC State, and to me, that's the game. That's the game you need to be watching because how is North Carolina going to respond? How is Mac Jones going to have his army ready to go after they took a bad loss? Maybe the worst loss of any top 10 team this year. I mean, and as it goes on, it could end up like that because Florida State has just been that bad. So for both of these programs, my answer on where do they go from here remains the same. Let's see what they do next week, because I'm big on how you respond, right? Like, if you make a mistake, how are you going to respond? Because that's what shows a lot about your character. You can win the game, and that's great, right? Like, that's awesome. Everybody's happy you won the game. But now let me see who you are. What do you do with this win? Florida State, North Carolina, what do you do with this loss, do you wallow in self-pity and self-doubt? or do you use this as some sort of good teaching experience and come out this weekend and get a great win against a ranked opponent and put yourself right back where you want it to be? It's something to think about, right? But with all that being said, I think my answer on both of them are the same. Let's wait till next week, let's see what they what they look like. Let's move forward to two other programs that got upset this weekend, even though I think that the general masses aren't super surprised about their losses. And we've already talked a little bit about one of them. That's Auburn. Auburn lost lost to South Carolina this week. And it's one of those things where people who've watched Auburn over the years, you got my little opening spiel about them. Because Auburn has all the ability in the world, They just lose some games every year that they really shouldn't lose. And, you know, then they'll turn around like last year and beat Alabama. And I'm a Bama fan as well. And I don't want to hear about, you know, not having Tua or anything because Mac Jones played pretty well. Mac Jones did his thing out there. And we had to go out there with what we had. And, you know, what? with what we're seeing this year, Mac Jones isn't your typical backup. And they touched us up. And hats off to him. That was a great win. But Auburn, in typical Auburn fashion, can't follow it up with anything positive. Gus Malzahn, to me, overthinks for his own, like, he is his own worst enemy. For whatever reason, he almost thinks himself into the doghouse. But that wasn't the interesting thing about the Auburn loss. And I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I think it is something that we do need to address. And that is that feud between Seth Williams and Bo Nix because Bo Nix is playing... uh, You know what? I I can't even try and temper this. Bo Nix is playing bad, right? Bo Nix right now is halfway a liability to that Auburn team. And I understand that he had a lot of praise coming into this year. I get that. And I'm not saying that I don't believe that it was earned. My thing with Bo Nix has always been, he is to me what Sam Ellinger is to me. And what a lot of quarterbacks before them have been. They're good, serviceable college quarterbacks. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they are too erratic. Too... I don't know the right word. Too erratic, too uncontrolled in their style to really just be the biggest reason a team wins a game. And I think the Bo Nix thing is kind of starting to fall off because (sighs) the kid is incredibly inconsistent. And I understand he's young, right? He's young. But I think we do need to point out that this this is more than just youth. Right? Like there is some style to his game that needs to be changed. And it's exactly how I feel about Sam Ellinger. If you want to succeed in the NFL, there are some things you have got to change about your game. So Auburn loses to South Carolina. It's it's a loss that we're surprised about without being surprised about. That's the most Auburn thing I could think of. Tennessee, on the other hand. They go out there and get mollywhopped by Kentucky, which is a little bit more surprising to me because Tennessee up to this point has been playing very good. Tennessee has been recruiting well. Jeremy Pruitt, you know, looks to have Tennessee going in the right direction. And Nick and I the other day on his show were talking about it and he posited to me that Tennessee is one of those teams that kind of irks him because they're always supposed to be back. They're always supposed to be back into the fray. They're back into the national grace, right? And I get where he's coming from because being an SEC fan, you absolutely see it. Every year is the year Tennessee's apparently back. But I told him to hold off. Hold off just a little bit because Jeremy Pruitt is doing something a little bit different there in Tennessee. He's He's recruiting with a different attitude. He's coaching with a different attitude. And he's trying to bring a ferocity that is much needed there. And so, Tennessee fans, you took a bad loss last week. You're going to take a bad loss this weekend, I believe. And you know what? I think that the, the three-game losing streak ends, and hopefully you can go on about your business and finish up strong in the year, because I think this is going to be a very big stretch for you, Tennessee. And the reason I say that is because of the mental toughness aspect. It's one thing to come out and play well, especially this year, right? It's another thing entirely to come out and play well and then take a loss to a Georgia and then take a loss to a Kentucky and then take a loss to an Alabama. And all of a sudden you're looking up and you're completely out of contention for the SEC East. You're looking up and you're hoping that you can still grab a viable a coveted bowl spot by winning out and you have to get some good wins down the stretch. That's the situation you're looking at, but you know how you can avoid that complacency of mind, Tennessee, keep playing heart. And that's the one thing I think Jeremy Pruitt has given y'all is a heart and a belief that is necessary. So with that, I think hopefully Tennessee y'all can, you know, recover Um, I'm not going to say hopefully I'll beat Alabama this weekend because I hope the exact opposite, but that's neither here nor there. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But y'all, I want to move forward because there are some programs in the nation that I have to sit here and wonder on this Thursday morning, how good are they really? How good are they? right? It's almost that same question I had to ask myself with UCF years ago. How good are you really? And you know what? To UCF's credit, they did beat an Auburn team that year, which, hey, take that as you will. Take that as you will. They beat Auburn. But this BYU team is really good. And that game against Houston was really good. And for those of you who caught episode one, that was my trap game of the week last week, was BYU versus Houston. And let me explain why. Did I think that BYU looked better up to that point? Absolutely. BYU has been playing incredible. My thing was is Houston only had one piece of game film from this year, and they have a new head coach, Dana Holgerson. And those things combined lend itself to be very difficult to stop them because you're not exactly sure how they're going to attack you yet. And Houston made it a game. Both the quarterbacks in this game played amazing. Right? I mean, both of them were phenomenal. But we're going to talk about Zach Wilson today, over two. And the reason is, is because Wilson's been doing it all year. Against Houston, Zach Wilson was 25 of 35 for 400 yards, four touchdowns. Right? And I don't know if any of you watched the game. But if if you didn't, if you want to do me no kindness in life, other than going back and watching... That last touchdown pass, Zach Wilson threw. Please do that for me. Because it was one of the most beautiful touchdown passes of all of last week. It was incredible. But if we look at his season stats, this isn't a one-off. Right? I mean, he's 107 of 136 in attempts, which is is good for 78.7%. Guys, we're talking college football. It's 78%. That's nutty. For 1,600 yards, he's averaging 12.1 yards per attempt. That's insane. That's a first down. To 12 touchdowns to one interception. And a rating of 207.7. Zach Wilson is playing at an incredibly high level. And I'm going to read you the rest of their schedule. And I want you to point out to me where you think his production will dip because I just don't think it will. We have Texas State. We have Western Kentucky. We have Boise State. We have UNA and SDSU. Call me crazy, but Zach Wilson and this BYU team... I think we'll finish up the year with at most one loss. I think the Boise State game could be interesting. Boise State plays teams very hard. So you know what? I'll go ahead and play devil's advocate for here. Your overreaction take of today is that BYU loses to Boise State, finishing with one loss. But then the question must be asked, how good is BYU? And I think the answer is very good. But for the sake of this argument, let's let's pretend that they beat Boise State, right? They, they win out. Are they good enough to make the playoffs? And I don't think so. And the reason is, is, I don't think that they have a quality enough win on their schedule. And that's going to hurt them. Now, look, this this year lends itself to an interesting conversation that we're going to be having in just a little bit. So I don't want to spoil too much about that because that's a big conversation I want to have. But just know, this year gives credence to certain arguments for and against to expanding the college football playoff. And I think BYU is a prime example of it. But before we hop into that, guys, let's let's keep on this train of talking about what happened last weekend. Call me a homer call me a victim of the moment, right? I really don't care because the only thing y'all can call me is a winner after last week. My Alabama Crimson Tide came out against the number one defense in football and got to spanking. That game was really something. And I think it was something because it was legitimately the number two versus the number three team in the nation. At the very least, unquestionably two of the top four teams in the nation facing off on Saturday. And in all seriousness, Georgia fans, you know, I think that while in certain aspects, maybe you're not as close as you would have liked to have been in that game. I think in other aspects, you're just where you need to be. And we're kind of going to break that down, but I kind of want to start start with some some things that I've noticed and some things that surprised me, especially when I rewatched the game. I'll start on the Georgia side of things. One is kind of play calling. And make no mistake about it, Georgia fans. You know, I think Kirby Smart is right for y'all. I think that the, what he's able to do, recruiting and everything, is good. The only question mark he has is his quarterbacks. Um, but even then, he it's still so new, all things considered. And you know, the field situation is such a, a hindsight 2020 type deal. Although the, bo- both camps haven't have a point with the field situation where he has been so good and he is as advertised, but at the same time, Jake Fromm did nothing to lose the job. That's tough, right? That's really tough, but that that's the only question mark Smart has. And Munkin, if you've watched my YouTube channel, you know I'm a big, big Munkin fan of I think that he's very creative in what he does. I think he can do a lot of different things at a high level. But I don't think that he set Stetson Bennett up for success. And look, I agree with a lot of Georgia fans I've seen on Twitter. And they're saying that Stetson Bennett is a large reason why they lost. And Stetson Bennett certainly didn't help any sort of case protecting him. Make no mistake, Georgia fans. But here's where I'm coming from. Georgia was running the ball very effectively, right? And Georgia certainly stopped running the ball to a large degree when Bama jumped out in the lead. But Georgia had already kind of been getting away from that and been asking him to throw more. If you know that you're struggling with consistent big-time quarterback play, especially facing a team like Alabama, I'm not exactly sure why. You ask your young quarterback who's a walk-on, to go throw for throw with the most potent offense in all of college football. With the best weapons in all of college football. I mean, if we're just looking at receivers, I like Pickens, but I think there's a real case to be made that he was the third best receiver on the field at any given point uh, this weekend. I don't think there's a draft analyst out there that would take Pickens over Devontae Smith, and I would bet my bottom dollar there's not one that would take Pickens over Jalen Waddle. And Pickens is a incredible talent. Jalen Waddle and Smitty are different. These are not regular dudes, and the two that came before them weren't regular dudes. And Amari and Calvin and Julio, right? Like, in, in some strange way... Alabama has become wide receiver U, and that's something I never thought I would be able to say. So I think play calling is a lot to blame, Georgia fans, and I don't think it's entirely to blame. But at the same time, I don't think that asking a, a walk-on quarterback to go strike for strike with the Alabama Crimson Tide offense is a good idea. And to the point you got that far away from running the ball, I think play calling is a problem. Not in the large scheme of things, in that game, right? And, and I say all of this is because I don't want to make it sound like too big of a deal. Because it, it was such a weird game, right? The score simultaneously told exactly what happened while not telling how we got there. Because while Bama certainly dominated in the second half, there is no if, and, or buts around that. Georgia played extremely well leading into that point. And, you know, I think that the committee absolutely got it right by only dropping Georgia one spot. They've absolutely showed that they are still a top-four team in the nation. I don't think there's anything to dispute that. But, Georgia, I think there are some certain questions you have now. How does your play calling go moving forward? And I think it's a double-edged sword because I think some equal blame can— and should be established to Stetson Bennett. And I, I, I'm not arguing that he is absolved from blame. Certainly not that. What do we do with JT Daniels? Now, if, if you haven't, go to my YouTube channel. Go, go find me on Twitter and go check out my YouTube channel because I've done a video talking about JT Daniels and Jamie Newman. I really like Jamie Newman. I thought he was a really good quarterback. I thought that he didn't have the pieces around him at Wake, and I didn't think that the system really gave him an opportunity to show what he did best because I really thought he was a pro-style guy at heart, and I really wanted to see what he would do with Munkin. But he opted out, and more power to him for that. Everybody should be able to make the best decision for themselves and their family. right? I wish all the best for him in the NFL draft. I really hope it doesn't affect him. Because he was a guy I thought could very easily play himself into QB3 range in this draft. Because I don't think you're outplaying Fields and Lawrence. That's kind of out the question. However, when he opts out, I think everybody kind of thought that JT Daniels was the next logical line. But we haven't seen him. And it's certainly for not lack of talent. I, I would have to imagine that the knee injury was much more serious than I thought it was. Um, and that's not saying much. I'm certainly no guru in that aspect. But I think that maybe the knee injury was more serious than let on, but not serious enough to keep him out. Uh, you know, a limited off season is already hard. It's harder when you're injured, and it's super hard when you're in a completely new system that, oh yeah, by the way, just got a new guy, right? So not only is everybody learning. At least those people knew the culture that that system is going to have to adhere to. You didn't get that opportunity. So it's not super surprising that he's not starting, right? Don't think that that's an indicative of talent or anything like that. It's it's very, you know, understandable that he's not starting, especially because I think Georgia understands what they have in JT Daniels, and that they do have a diamond in the rough, and if they can keep him healthy, everything will be just fine. So, you know, I think the question has to be though is do we see JT Daniels coming up because I don't think that Georgia can beat Alabama, can beat Clemson, can beat Ohio State with a Stetson Bennett. And you know, I have a I have a friend who we met through Twitter and we we interact through Twitter. We talk semi frequently about football recruiting, Georgia football, Alabama football. And he's a super smart guy when it comes to football. Somebody that I really enjoy talking Ball with, somebody that gets ball, and somebody that loves ball, right? Somebody that likes to, the game, and likes to study the game, like myself. I hope to have him on the podcast, but he pointed that same point out to me, right? He said, I don't know that Stetson is good enough to get us over Bama, over Clemson, over Ohio State, and I wasn't so sure because I thought that maybe the parts around Stetson could kind of carry him there. But I think, y'all, that I seriously undervalued maybe how good some of these offenses are, right? Like, now that we've talked about Bama, let's talk about my squad, because that's a perfect segue. Because I he, he hit the nail on the head when he said that Stetson's not enough, and I, I, he was 100% right and I was wrong. So if you hear this, when you hear this, you know who you are. Shout out to you. You were right. Looking at the Bama side, I don't think anybody anticipated Mac Jones to be this good. Mac Jones is playing out of his mind right now. I mean, he's something at like a 79% completion. He had 400 yards of offense against Georgia. Najee Harris went for 150 plus. Devontae Smith, 160 plus. Jalen Waddle, 160 plus. Two touchdowns for Smitty, one for Waddle, one for Mechie. The young man Mechie continues to show that he is a dangerous dangerous receiver in the sec and he is not to be forgotten because i'll tell you what if if you forget about mechie bama will beat you by mechie if you somehow can take away and i don't know who can if if you somehow can't take away smitty and waddle bama will beat you with mechie make no mistake about it he's that talented he is that guy But Georgia was absolutely the best defense in the country, right? Certainly the most vicious in how they played and how they attacked and how they were violent, right? They were an insanely fun defense to watch, and they lived up to it. They got a lot of good players on that Georgia squad that will be playing on Sundays. You mark my word. That is an incredibly talented squad. That defense is awesome. But here's the difference is the offenses, right? Alabama against the best team in the nation carved them up in the second half. And really in the first half, you know, Georgia had the lead, but Bama's offense was never really an issue, right? And you could argue if Bama's punting situation isn't so bad, and they don't give Georgia good field position, I think, three times in the first half, absolutely lending themselves to points, right? I think Georgia got 14 points off of terrible field position by bad punts. That game might not even be as close as it is because Georgia's offense couldn't do much against a decently bad Alabama defense, albeit an Alabama defense that came out in that second half with something to prove, right, with something to prove. I'm not saying they played world-beating in the second half, but they certainly played like they were out to prove that they weren't the worst defense in the SEC, and I actually look for improvement in them going forward, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. I think that the most surprising thing is how Bama responded in that second half. I think that's the most impressive thing maybe of all of this weekend. Even if I wasn't a Bama fan, I believe I would feel this way, because... When you have the season finished the way last season finished for Alabama, y'all think about how good this offense is now. Now just I want you to imagine last year they had Tua plus Ruggs and Judy to go along with Smitty and Waddle. That offense last year could have been everything LSU's was. I'm not going to say and more because I really don't know how much better you can get than LSU's offense. I'm just saying that I'm not even going to say right now that Bama beats LSU last year if Tua is in that game completely healthy, right? I'm saying that that game is an even bigger shootout than it was if Tua enters that game completely healthy last year. That game might break all SEC records for scoring, yards, everything. Because Tua and Joe Burrow would have brought that out of each other out of necessity, and I don't know who wins that duel. Because LSU, I went back and watched a lot of y'all's games, and for as much ribbing as i give y'all it is out of a jovial place right because y'all have the target on your back now right it's out of a, almost a respect y'all are top dog my squad wants to get back there so i'm going to rib at you it's all in good fun because you you earned it right i don't know that we beat y'all last year i'm not saying that because what joe burrow did as i've rewatched it was insane it was incredible i don't know how much better it gets I'm, I just am very much adherent to the fact that if, if we were healthy last year, we might break every SEC record for offense in that one game, uh, both of us, because our quarterbacks would have brought it out of each other, and man, what a battle it would have been. Alas, Mac Jones and this offense are not missing a beat. He's the first Alabama quarterback with triple 400-yard games, and he has now slayed the best defense in college football and the number three team in college football and AM, who is a ranked team in college football, who, oh yeah, by the way, AM just went out there and spanked up on Florida. We're gonna talk about that a little bit. Bama has a very, very nice win column right now against very quality opponents. I don't know how you stop this Alabama offense. I think Georgia was the best opportunity with how ferocious they play. And I think what Georgia learned is as good as you are at cornerback, this Alabama squad is legitimately the best receiving core in the nation, and Smitty is really staking a claim at something special. And Jalen Waddle's a freak. Jalen Waddle, you know, the unofficial coaches, shout out to them. If you haven't visited their YouTube channel, I don't know what you're doing. They make hilarious content. Go check that out. But they, they always say it, so I want to give credit to where credit is due. Pound for pound. Greatest player in college football, Jalen Waddell. Pound for pound. Best player. But to segment off of that, you know, I think that we see this game again. I don't think there's anybody on Georgia's schedule outside of Alabama that can take the ferocity at which they play defense. The only reason I think Alabama can is because in spirit, that's what Alabama should be playing like right now, but Georgia's playing better on defense and there's no getting around that. However, I think that we underrated how good the Alabama defense was after the Ole Miss game. And I don't mean that to sound like they're very good. They're not. They're pretty bad. But I think that we thought they were much worse than they were. And I think that we didn't think that Georgia's offense was as porous as it was outside of their running game. And I really hate to say that because I, as much as I always was going to want my tide to win this game, always will, I have a lot of respect for the Georgia Bulldogs. Right, I, I really enjoy interacting with the fan base. I have a lot of respect for how they run their program. I always have, because it is very similar to Alabama. And I, I see a lot of parallels historically, but they've just kind of had the short end of the stick. And it didn't stop this weekend. Um, But that's, you know, that's about it. I, I have no doubt they'll see each other again in the SEC Championship. I don't know that even a JT Daniels helps them there, because as... You know, the season goes on, that Alabama pass rush is only going to start figuring itself out, at which point I don't even know what Georgia can do, because this Alabama offense is only going to get better, weapons are only going to get better, and we're only going to see more pieces to help them improve. Guys like Javon Baker, Trey Sanders, it's going to be something. So moving forward, let's talk about another national powerhouse, and that's Clemson, because Clemson blows yet another team out, and that's cementing Trevor Lawrence's great season. And I've been thinking a lot about what's different between Lawrence this year and last year. And I think the biggest thing is, is last year, I think he kind of hit the nail on the head in his self-evaluation. He was getting away with things he shouldn't have been getting away with. And it's because he's so good, right? The team he plays with is so good that he's able to get away with things that your other quarterbacks just can't get away with. And when I say Trevor Lawrence didn't have that great of a season last year once again guys let's put everything into a vacuum let's put it into perspective trevor lawrence didn't have a great season last year based on the trevor lawrence expectations and i don't mean the expectations cast onto him by us i mean the expectations he has okay trevor lawrence was great last year but he struggled in some throws and accuracy Right? And it was the throws that were really like the consistent NFL throws. The, the throws that were really the difference between a college and an NFL he was kind of struggling with. And not all the time, but it's almost like he knew how talented he was and he was expecting the ball to get there off of that. And you know what? To his credit, it worked 90% of the time. Hell, I'll even give you 99% of the time. Then they played LSU and he couldn't get away with that stuff anymore. Because LSU was too good. This year, Trevor Lawrence is playing phenomenal football. I mean, incredible. And so when I say that he had a disappointing year last year, he was still the best quarterback in the nation outside of Joey Burrow last year, right? Because Tua got hurt, so I can't throw him up there. Trevor Lawrence was the second best quarterback in the nation last year. In a down year. This year, he's just incredible. And while Clemson's defense may not statistically be as good, they're super young, they're incredibly athletic, and they will get better every week, and I promise you that. When you look at their defensive coordinator, when you look at their personnel, they will continue to get better. So while I don't expect them to blow out every team 73-7, to I do expect them to continue on their dominance. I don't see any team in the ACC that can have anything to say about them. I mean, hell, Notre Dame's in the ACC, but what, are we really putting any stock in Notre Dame who struggled to get past Louisville? How real is Notre Dame? Because Notre Dame, you always have to wonder, is it a same result, different year type Notre Dame as far as recent college football history? The Notre Dame that's supposed to be incredible, that gets to the end goal and then gets smacked around. Aside from all of that, let's look to this coming up week, right? Because... The big news for this coming up week is that the Big Ten is coming back. So let's talk some Big Ten. We have a top 25 showdown that is kicking us off within the Big Ten, and that is Minnesota versus Michigan. The Minnesota versus Michigan game is big implications for a few big reasons, right? Firstly, where is Michigan going to be at at the start of this year? For those of you who've seen my YouTube channel, I'm a little bit hard on Michigan because I'm a little bit hard on Harbaugh. I think Harbaugh is someone who tries too hard. And I think that when you look at some of the stories that have come out about him as far as how his recruiting trips have gone, it makes sense, right? Harbaugh is kind of silly. The man wore cleats in a house and refused to take them off. The man is a silly person, right? And sometimes that's not bad, right? Sometimes that's not a bad thing. Sometimes that's a little bit refreshing when you are exposed to how much of a grind, just how grindy this college football life is. Sometimes that silliness is a welcome thing, but sometimes it's over the top. And I think that's where Harbaugh finds himself. But off of that pedestal, what do I think about Minnesota versus Michigan? Well, it's a top 25 showdown, instant implications for Big 12 championship playoff berth. Because the loser of this game can go ahead and knock themselves out of the playoffs. And that's kind of just the reality of the situation. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just one second. Aside from that, we have Ohio State versus Nebraska. Y'all remember episode one, I gave you my two biases in college football. I'm an Alabama fan and I am a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. I grew up one parent a fan of one team, the other parent a fan of the other team. Odd combination. And so is this Ohio State versus Nebraska game a trap game? Or, just my hopes, kicking all logic right in the balls? Probably the latter. Probably the latter. Uh, I don't think that Nebraska has any candle to hold up to Ohio State. I wish they did. I wish I could proudly and confidently tell y'all here today that I thought that this was a trap game that I thought that Nebraska had any hope against Ohio State. But I'm trying to do something here for y'all that's authentic. And that would not be authentic. Nebraska's going to get their ass kicked. They just can't keep up with Ohio State. And that's just the simple truth of it. But the reason... I've been leading up to this topic right here. Yesterday morning, before I went to work, I was watching ESPN, and an interesting topic came about. And they were talking about the college football playoffs. And they were talking about how there could be two big team, two Big Ten teams, I'm sorry, getting into the college football playoff this year. So I think that that is a tough, tough sell. And I'll explain to you why. Because for the Big Ten to get two teams in, right, we're going to assume right now there are some shoe ins. The first shoe in, we'll say, is Clemson. I think everybody can agree with me that Clemson's getting one of those four playoff spots. Assuming the Big Ten tries to get two teams in, I think everybody would also agree with me that the first team is Ohio State. And I'm not doing this in any particular order. I'm just thinking out loud. Given the fact right now in college football that Alabama might hold the best wins in college football, they've won, they've slaughtered, ranked A&M, who then went out and beat Highly ranked Florida, right? They, Bama slaughtered them. Bama then went out and slaughtered Georgia. Bama, you would think, would also get one of those nods. And this is where I have to think, right? Because this is where we have to start looking at all of the possibilities. Do we think that the Big 12 is getting a team in there? Well, unless Oklahoma State wins out and wins out in an incredibly impressive fashion, probably not. Why? Because nobody's going to look at any win in the Big 12 and think it's a very good win. Not when you have your best teams, you know, look so bad every week, look so sloppy every week. And so I think that this year, the Big 12 gets left out of the college football playoff. I think that their biggest chance was OU or Texas, and both of those teams are pretty bad. Both of those teams are pretty bad right now. So, without the Big 12, that leaves us with the Pac-12. Okay. Well, how about Oregon, right? My only worry with a Pac-12 champion coming out is not with them. Right? Because I believe that Oregon is a very good team. If you've seen my YouTube channel, you know I'm very high on what Mario. Cristobal has been building, they're recruiting well. They are putting the building blocks in place for an incredibly good program. But I don't think that the the rest of the Pac twelve is going to be good enough to allow them to come out. That's first. Second off, Oregon is with a new quarterback this year. Right? And it's an incredibly unfortunate year. They have a great quarterback coming in in the recruiting class, Ty Thompson. He's one to look out for. But this year, as it sits, I just don't have a lot of faith in that Oregon quarterback as he's brand new. And I think that will really hurt them. I think that's a real concern. When you look at the committee looking in, that's going to be something to hurt them. But I'll tell you what we will do. We'll keep a, a, a little pin in Oregon for the time being as a possibility because I'm going to posit you at Few different teams. So we've gone through the Big Ten, we've gone through the Pac 12. I think everybody can agree there's no universe in which the ACC gets two teams in. So that leaves us with the SEC and the Big Ten, both of which already represented in our college football playoff. For the Big Ten, I think you're probably looking at whoever can come out of this Minnesota Michigan game. Already having a ranked win. That's big. Boom. So I think it'll either be... I think that the Big Ten has two teams outside of Ohio State that have a hope of making it. How real it is, I don't know. And it's the two teams that play not only on Saturday, but Penn State. And the reason I don't say three teams is because one of those will be completely eliminated come Saturday. In Minnesota or Michigan, whoever wins that game moves on with their playoff hope with Penn State. Whoever loses stops. Personally, I think Minnesota is going to take the game this weekend. So, for the you know the point of this conversation, we'll say Minnesota and Penn State are vying for that number four spot. But now I'm going to pause. Pause at this scenario to you. Georgia wins out. Okay, Georgia wins out. And they have one loss going into the SEC championship. They play Alabama in the SEC championship, and they play Alabama much better this time. So it's it's a very real possibility that Bama could lose in the SEC championship to Georgia. That's one scenario. okay? And if that happens, does the committee take a one-loss non-SEC championship Bama, who crushed Georgia in the early season, and an SEC championship Georgia with one loss coming from Bama, who they just vindicated, or does the committee look to not include Bama in favor of an Oregon with a one loss or a one loss Penn state or Minnesota? I don't think either of that happens. And here's the reason why, because I don't know that a one loss, this is going to sound crazy. But I think people will get this. I don't know that a one-loss Minnesota is going to be able to hold out a two-loss Georgia from the playoff. Because the college football playoff is about bringing in the four best teams. right? The four best teams in the nation. And even though we haven't seen Minnesota play, we haven't seen Michigan play, we haven't seen Penn State play, I would be willing to bet my bottom dollar that Georgia is better than every team in the Big Ten except Ohio State. I'd be willing to bet that right now. And I think they could give Ohio State some problems with the way Ohio State plays, the way Georgia likes to play. Right? The reason Bama gives Georgia some problems is because Bama is one of the true unique teams in the nation that is almost a little bit like that Kansas City Chiefs offense, where we can blow the top off of you all game long if we like. But if we want to soften you up, we'll just do power run At the same level, you can power run. Bama can do every type of offense almost at the highest level. That's what's what's unique about them, right? Ohio State's a little bit the same way, but to a lesser degree, I think, because I don't know that they have the weapons on the outside that Bama does. So with that being said, right, now we get into this whole conundrum of how do we rank these, right? Because now we have these different webs of who could get into the college football playoff. And so the question must be posed: Should the playoff be expanded? And I think this year is the perfect year for it. And it's it's why I wanted to talk more about it at that BYU subject. And I said, y'all will put a pin in this. We'll come back to it. Because BYU could go undefeated this year. But there's no way that BYU, undefeated with the schedule they have had, is getting in over a one-loss Penn State, over a one-loss Minnesota, over a one-loss Oregon, and I don't think they're getting in over a two-loss Georgia because of the team Georgia would have lost to, right? Because I think that there's a real argument that Bama could be the best team in the nation right now. I understand what Ohio State is doing, but Bama holds the best wins in the nation right now, beating two ranked opponents by 20 points each, right? That's that's impressive. Georgia was a little bit less than 20, but y'all get my point, right? That's impressive. So... I think that there are real issues with not expanding the playoff, right? We, we have a team like BYU who's playing well enough that they could go undefeated and an undefeated season makes for a team that deserves to be there because all you can do is play who's in front of you. You did your job. So why am I going to penalize you for doing your job? So BYU, I think, should get a playoff berth. I don't think it should come at the expense of a Clemson, an Ohio State, a Bama, a Georgia, a Minnesota, a Michigan, an Oregon. Assuming they all have one loss, Georgia the only exception at two losses. Right, I I don't see that happening. But here's the flip side. Because I think this year also exposes another harsh reality to college football. One that isn't as good. As much as I think that we would like to see the college football playoff expanded, as much as I think that it would be a net positive to college football overall, I don't think that it's going to happen. And I think that there are actually issuances in this year that lead itself to make a harder case for it to happen. Because as much as I can sit here and point out to you that BYU could go undefeated this year, Zach Wilson could have an incredible year, and they still not make the college football playoff, even though that they would be left out in favor of a team that has a loss because as college football sits right now and especially this season, right? Just looking at this season in a vacuum, COVID has every team looking really messy right now and that's completely understandable when you don't get an offseason except these top teams in the nation right now. Clemson doesn't look like they've really missed a beat. Alabama's defense hasn't been great but they've played well enough to win, and their offense is all world. They don't look like they've missed a beat. Georgia, Georgia doesn't look like they've missed a beat, right? I mean, they don't. Because like I told you, if if that game, if they call that game different, if they stick to the run and they don't give Alabama's offense time to have the ball, you might win that game. And I understand when people are like, oh, but we can't run when we already have a, you know, a deficit we're facing against an Alabama team that's going to pass. Yeah, but the only way you can keep them from scoring is if you don't give them the ball. And their defense can't stop you running. So keep running. It's your only hope. I think that when you look at it in the sense that right now, there are really only, and I'm going to assume Ohio State's going to be good because it's Ohio State, there are really only four really good teams in college football right now. I mean exceptional teams in college football right now. There's Clemson, there's Alabama, there's Georgia, and there's Ohio State. That is your exceptional college football teams right now. And so as much as I would like for an expanded playoff, This year is a tough year to make that case because for all of the validity of saying an undefeated BYU deserves to go, maybe a one-loss Oregon that's a Pac-12 champ deserves to go. Then somebody looks you dead in the face and says, okay, fair enough. Is BYU as good as Clemson? And the answer is no. I don't think so. Now, we all love the miracle stories. We all love the Cinderella stories. And that's what makes March Madness so unique. But football is a little bit different than that, right? And while certainly we could see some upsets, I don't think that they would be nearly as frequently as some people have in their mind, right? Because the game of football is just built a little bit different than basketball i think that we'd see upsets but i don't think that they would happen as frequently as people think and so we're left with this strange juxtaposition do we expand or not personally i think yes right i think you absolutely expand because at the off chance that byu knocks off alabama isn't it worth it isn't that one game worth it to me yes But I'm also in love with college football. And so I don't care whether they're blowouts or not. If you give me more college football, I'm going to be happy. I'm the wrong person to ask for that. We're going to return to this same subject when we get some other guys back on the podcast. When we get Andrew, when we get Jameson, when we get Brendan back on, we're going to come back to this subject because it's one that I think more people need to talk about. That way you're not just hearing me, this echo chamber of what I believe. So before we close out this show, I'm going to talk about just a few more things, some more games to look forward to this weekend. The big one, uh, we already talked about it a little bit, NC State, North Carolina. How is North Carolina going to respond? Because North Carolina can rebound very good this week, get a big-time win that puts them right back in the driver's seat for getting to the ACC championship and attempting to upset Clemson, which I don't think will happen. But, hey, you know, you, you have to do it, and it puts them right back in a good position. So that's a must-win game for North Carolina. And because of that, that is maybe my must-watch game, right, of the week. Because I'm very interested in North Carolina. I'm very interested in Sam Howell. I actually made a quarterback list this summer where I ranked the top 10 quarterback rooms in the nation. And I left off some guys in favor of Sam Howell. And so far, I feel very, you know, good about that. But a game like this weekend will make me feel even better if he can come out and have a big game. So that's one to keep an eye on. The second is, you know, my bias, Bama versus Tennessee. This is a historic rivalry. I don't know how much of a rivalry you can call it now because Bama has just been running ship through them, but historically, this is a deep-seated, deep, deep deep-seated rivalry. I think the biggest question for Tennessee is, can you get anything going in your quarterback play? Right, And conversely, I think the biggest question for Alabama is, can you get some sacks generated from that front? Can you make whatever quarterback Tennessee throws out there incredibly uncomfortable? So I'm looking at number 31, Will Anderson. I'm looking at Christian Barmore. And I'm looking at Dylan Moses, because Dylan Moses has been picked on this year. Opposing offenses have been attacking him. And if I'm, you know, I I wouldn't bet on it, but I would try, I would imagine that they... Tennessee has some plays that are going to be picking on the Alabama linebackers because of the lack of discipline they have had in picking up reads. But I think this is the week that we could see some improvements. And guys, I'm not saying Bama is going to be a top five defense in the nation. That's not them this year. But they can make marketed improvements. It starts with one, tackling. They have so many missed tackles. It's incredible. And two, just getting to your assignment. That's their two biggest problems right now. Bama versus Tennessee, I think Bama blows them out. I don't think that there's anything that Tennessee has done that will be able to slow down Bama. I don't think they have anybody on the outside that can slow down Bama. I don't think they have anybody on the inside that can contain that Bama offensive line. And I think this is a big game for the Bama defense to look to respond. So with all that being said, let's get some early Heisman talk, right? Because I think if you had to list the favors... Favorites for the Heisman right now, you'd probably go in this exact order. Trevor Lawrence, Etienne, uh, maybe Mac Jones next, right? And the reason is, is because Mac Jones is playing out of his mind right now. Mac Jones is playing like a man possessed. And I have some stats I'm going to read off for you about Mac Jones. Mac Jones on throws 30 plus yards downfield is 79% completion ranks first in the FBS. 588 yards ranks first in the FBS and five touchdowns. That ranks first in the FBS. That is insane production, right? That is nutty production. Not only that, but Mac Jones for this year is at 90 of 115 for 1,518 yards and 12 touchdowns. Trevor Lawrence on the year is 108 For 148, 1,544 yards, and 15 touchdowns. So he has three more touchdowns. He has a bit more yards, but look at the difference in attempts. 115 to 148. Mac Jones is playing very, very well. And while I think he could earn himself a trip to New York, I don't think he's winning New York because, make no mistake, Trevor Lawrence is playing better. Trevor Lawrence is being asked to do more. Trevor Lawrence is playing out of his mind. And Etienne is incredible, man. But you know who else is playing good? Najee Harris. And there's a lot of good football players in college football right now, y'all. But there are some guys operating on a different level. So the early Heisman talk is one that we're going to get into a lot next week. I just kind of wanted to plant the seed right now. I kind of wanted to do a little bit of an inception on y'all. Start thinking about who you think is big in the Heisman. Let me know on Twitter who y'all think. And some early draft talk. And I'm going to leave y'all with this thought right here. This will be the last thing before we close the episode. It's talking about the NFL draft. Because I got a very interesting text this weekend. From a former college football player. Former cornerback for UTSA. He was watching the games this weekend. And he he texts me up and he says, You know, I think there's a real possibility that Chase, Jamar Chase, could be surpassed in the NFL draft as the number one receiver. And of course, I think we were both talking about at the time, Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith is having an incredible year to back up his last year incredible year. And I think Devontae Smith is trying to prove that maybe we were wrong. As good as Jerry Judy and as good as Henry Ruggs was, maybe Smitty was really the best. I don't know. It's something we have to talk about. It's a very interesting conversation to have because they're all so different. And Devontae Smith reminds me a lot of A.J. Green. So we start talking about that, but then he sends me another text. And this is where it gets interesting. He said, I think that Jamar Chase, if he gets surpassed by Smitty for the number one receiver, Jamar Chase could actually get surpassed as the number two receiver as well by Jalen Waddell. And that's, that's interesting because last year, Jalen Waddle averaged 24.3 yards per punt. This year, Jalen Waddell is about to go down as the highest Bama receiver all time in yards per catch at something like 22.8. It is ridiculous. And while I can't penalize Jamar Chase for not playing this year because of the circumstances, because of the implications, you cannot penalize the young man for making a business decision. I have nothing but respect for making that decision because I can't imagine how difficult it was. I think that there could be some real conversation about him getting surpassed, and he's certainly a a first-round receiver. Jamar Chase is going to go into the NFL and tear it up. Any other year, he's wide receiver one, right? I'm not, make no mistake, I'm not taking anything away from the young man. The young man is a baller. I think this year, though, there might just be two guys that ball harder. So y'all, thank you so much for being here for episode two of College Football Unmasked. it has been a real pleasure as always. I am your host, Ty Hayes. Be sure to check out the other great podcasts we have here on the Daily Sport Network. We have the Nick Barlotta show we have on the Bump of Baseball podcast. And that's not all. We got a lot of stuff coming up. If you weren't here for the beginning of the episode, if you didn't get to hear it, I have some big things planned. I think next week we're going to try and get former UNT football player Brendan Witherspoon on the podcast. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the NCAA and about the process of football after an injury. That's not something you want to miss. Once again, y'all, it has been an absolute pleasure being here with y'all on this Thursday. Hope y'all have a good day. Hit me up on Twitter at Around the Table Sports Show. Ty Hayes, your host. We'll see you next week.